0: I am Alon Ben-Mir, and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is David Makovsky, Ziegler Distinguished Fellow at the Washington Institute and Director of the Project on Arab-Israeli Relations. His latest book, written with Dennis Ross, titled, Be Strong and of Good Courage, How Israel's Most Important Leaders Shaped Its Destiny. In this episode, we discuss the U.S.-Israel relationship, especially where the bilateral relationship is going, what the future of Israel would look like in relation to the Palestinians, and the relationships between Israel and the Arab states thank you, David, for taking the time. Oh, really, Okay. Uh, so, anyway, I you know I um, uh, I look at some of your podcasts that oh. you did about the relationship between, yeah. specifically, American Jews, yeah. Israeli Jews, yeah. and the United States yeah. history in connection with Israel from the time of inception. Yeah. I'd like you to to tell me what um, where do you see where do you see this bilateral relationship is going, given the circumstance and the condition that exists today, both. In Israel and the United States,
1: look. I don't think it's uh, predetermined. Um, the U.S.-Israel relationship has weathered many crises over the years, and you, more than anybody else, knows this. How we at low points uh, in, in the relationship, at different points, we just did the third episode of the podcast about the Eisenhower years, yeah. and the things that happened during the Eisenhower years is, is unthinkable today. Um, so, you know, we need a sense of historic perspective right. that there have often been highs and lows. And in the big picture, the relationship has uh, deepened uh, and grown in, in, in depth and breadth. Uh, but it's not predetermined. I mean, I'm very concerned about um, the growing the polarization in this country. I don't want the U.S.'s relationship to be a partisan issue if we look at the U.S.-Saudi relationship, we see the dangers of what happens when a key um, relationship becomes partisan. I mean, I think Bandar ibn Sultan, the Saudi ambassador in the 90s, he moved to Switzerland because he thought he was friends with the Republicans. So he yes. didn't need to be friends with the Democrats. And by the way, I would say the same thing if it was reversed. But, um, but when the, the Saudis need that relationship, uh, the relation uh, suddenly it doesn't have the friends it used to have. And that gets me to the broader point. Right. And it's a, it's, a, it's a polite, respectful uh, dis- debate they've had with some uh, friends and colleagues. And that is people think if you only have a relationship based on strategic interests, that is sufficient. And the Saudis have learned that you can have the most strategic issue. What, what is more strategic than oil? But if you don't have uh, common values... Uh, common interests are not enough basically I see common interests as linking governments while common values as linking peoples and this, the genius I would say of the US-Israel relationship of its conceptualizers was an understanding you needed both you needed common interests and common values it wasn't enough to have one you need both it's not that you should have values and not interests of course and on the interest level it's, it's, what's fascinating is, is that both the US and Israel had the same enemies when you think about it whether it was Soviet Russia, whether it was j- the jihadis, and whether if it was I- Iran, the, the 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 things that were bad for Israel, the the countries that were bad for Israel that menaced Israel also menaced the United States, and uh, are those forces if it's the jihadis. So, the common interest is, is vital, but having common interest is not sufficient if you don't have common values, and I'm, and I'm a bit worried that issue becoming partisan is splitting along lines of interest versus values. Mm-hmm. That to me is a, a big concern. I think ironically you know and as we speak, you know the the situation in Israel is being played out mm-hmm. and I don't know if there'll be a unity government in Israel, but I think policies in Israel are important in terms of of having an impact there. Uh, having an impact there will have an impact here in the United States if, if, if you have, the two big parties sitting together in a, in a I won't say bi- bipartisan, there means something different, but if they're able to overcome their differences, that policy shift will be felt in the United States. If Israel, you know, sneezes, Israel, America will catch a cold in a good way. I mean, one thing happened good there will happen here. And I think um, if, uh, if you see the limiting of, of small parties, that have disproportionate influence, whether it's the ultra-Orthodox or the right. settler movement, right. yeah. if, if they kind of return down to their natural size and the two parties say, okay, enough, enough. We, we, we see what happens when the, all the politics gets swayed by small parties. That will be felt here with the American Jewish community over the ultra-Orthodox issue. Mm-hmm. And the, the, if, if the settler uh, uh, influence is curtailed a bit, That'll have an imp- a good impact with the Democrats. So I see how policy shifts there will be felt here. So when you say, where is it going? Where's the trajectory? I think it's a question of where is Israel itself going? And once you know where Israel itself is going, it will, it will resonate here. So I, I, I have a certain optimism that the bilateral relationship has weathered. Uh, some very difficult periods over the decades. I mentioned Eisenhower and Suez, but I think that it's also uh, about uh, policy shifts there that could broaden the support here and avoiding this narrowing effect that I feel is going on right now. Mm-hmm. So, and then there's the <clears throat> syllogism, of course, which is, which is, which unfortunately has, has, has really taken hold, which goes like this. I hate Trump. Trump loves Netanyahu, therefore I don't like (laughs) Israel. And that syllogism is something like we've never seen before. Now, I want to be very careful and uh, not to be misinterpreted on this key point. Whoever is the prime minister of Israel is going to want to have a positive relationship, a favorable relationship with the president of the United States. Absolutely. And that's crucial. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is uh, well understood. But there's a fine line between... Uh, tov, as they say in Hebrew, yeah. acknowledgement of, of, yeah. of, of good and things, yeah. and what I call an exclusivist embrace, that I worry about, that kind of adds to this partisan flavor. So, I I think a shift over in Israel uh, that that narrows the role of the small parties. Uh, will will play out favorably here. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how it turns out in the coming right, weeks.
0: Right. But you know, you speak very, very about values and you know, strategic values. And um, the how do you see the um, the erosion, I should say, between Israeli Jews and American Jews in the last say last few years, in particular because i see a clear erosion yeah. taking place look, and def- and 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 how that is impacting yeah. on the strategic interest because right. this is this is to me this is one of major major concerns yeah. i have because it's you also have here political forces that are also looking at israel from a different perspective as well
1: no question look i think part of it like you're seeing a generational shift in the united states i mean you used to have european born people who came before the holocaust after the holocaust and it uh, they have certain memories that, of the Holocaust, of uh, the founding of Israel, of the perilousness of Israel from 67. You know, I, I've spoken alone at over, made over 135 campus visits. We're now dealing with freshmen who were uh, born after 9-11. And that means they don't even have recognition and remembrance of 9-11 if they were only born mm-hmm. then. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their their frame of reference has shifted. and yes. And also, I mean, to be um, fair about it, in Israel and in, um, among American Jews, there's a different definition of Jewish values, that Jewish values in I- Israel is the particular. I tell a joke of two Israelis who come out of a reformed temple in America, and one is a bit confused and turns to the other one and says, <laughs> how do you say tikkun olam in Hebrew? <laughs> you know, the, which for those listeners who don't know the word Tikkun Olam, it means fixing the world. Uh-huh. But for what is seen among among many segments of American Jewry as the embodiment of Jewish values, is universalism, that is not always seen in Israel. Now, I think both sides, frankly, and uh, you always have to be careful to be too generalizing. Both sides could have more of an equilibrium between the particular and the universalistic. But if if in Israel Jewish values are, are defined purely in particularistic terms, and in America in segments it's defined purely in universalistic terms, there's there's a mismatch here. There
0: is a mismatch, yes, yeah, yeah. But Israel definitely is moving in that direction, yes. and that's uh, you know um, deepening the gap yeah, between yeah. the two sides. But where do you see that's going? That's that's you know. How do you see that? On on what that might depend? What sort of development... Okay,
1: well, I'm glad you asked that because that's, you know, uh, you mentioned the podcast I'm doing on decisions and the decision points in the U.S. Israel relationship. But um, I just wrote a book with Dennis Ross called Be Strong and Of Good Courage, based on the biblical phrase, Chazak Vematz. On one hand, we acknowledge that Israel has to be strong in that neighborhood. Uh, the Middle East is not an easy uh, part of the world. It's probably the most combustible part of the world uh, with different um, uh, jihadi groups and all sorts of problems. But at the same time, while being strong is 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 necessary, it's not sufficient. Israel has to be wise. It has to be courageous. And I want to be clear, we're not putting the onus just on Israel. I mean, the Palestinians have to be the same. What's our fear getting to your question when you say the trajectory? Where is it yeah, going? Yeah. The reason why Dennis and I wrote this book, which in, in many ways is, I think, is, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not objective, but um, is, um, is an effort to remind people of leaders of Israel who made historic decisions, a kind of Israeli profiles and courage, so to speak. And like you had uh, Joseph Ellis, the founding brothers in the US, who are the founding fathers in Israel who made big decisions. They met the bar of history. Yes. Because uh, yeah. they understood that you could not kick the can down the road always. And uh, you cannot uh, defer your problems to your children's generation, but you have to solve your problems. And if the national interest conflicts with the personal interest, you do the national interest. So whether it's Ben-Gurion's Road of 48, whether it's Begin's Road, Uh, on the Egypt-Israel peace treaty, if it's Rabin's road to Oslo, Sharon's road to Gaza. What was the journey of these four leaders? And what we found was that each of them had undergone their own internal transformation before making a big decision. But we want to, these four chapters before the fifth chapter of saying, okay, now where does Israel go? And I think a fear that Dennis and I have at a certain point is that the Palestinians will say, you know what, forget it. We don't want the state. We don't see it coming about. Uh, we don't want a state. We want the vote in Israel. And that will be, I think, an almost an effort for a hostile takeover. I mean, it would be the, the end of Zionism. Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. And, and, and I'm worried that that tone, I don't think Israel is going to just throw over the keys and say, OK, forget about Zionism. They won't do that, of course. But it'll create pressures in the United States and among American Jews yes. that will say, well if they don't have a state the dna of america is one person one vote and that could isolate israel greatly Now, i know to many people this seems far-fetched but if you look at the polling and i know you follow this along like i do the young palestinians they are talking about one state yes now by the way the term one state is used by one state right and one state left those on one state right think israel could control everything those on one state left say no Israel, and let's just start all over again and have a binational state. I don't see Israel doing this. I don't see the end of ethnic states in the Middle East or uh, in, in India and Pakistan uh, at all. I think the ethnicity and, uh, is too important and religious. These are primordial definitions. Um, you know, if you look at the, the countries in the Middle East where there's been the most strife, it's been in these multi-ethnic settings. It's been in Lebanon mm-hmm. and Syria and Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, so my fear is that, you know, in American Jews, they're all focused on BDS. And they have reason to be concerned, of course. And, uh, and I've made a lot of college visits, partly because I'm against the whole BDS phenomenon. But I see BDS's child's play compared to this, like a it hill to the big mountain absolutely of this, absolutely, yeah. of, them, of, the, of trying to go one person, one vote. I am also wondering if the people who only define their Jewish values universalistically will also kind of even lead that charge. Um, and so I, I, am, I think this, to me, is a, is a key point of uh, the importance of trying to find ways to bridge the gaps between Israelis and Palestinians. Not because you could hit the home run ball today. You probably cannot, but you can hit some solid singles. We can't maybe solve the conflict, but we don't manage it. You gotta shrink it, you have to shrink this conflict. And I think shrinking it will be good for the people on the ground. Uh, shrinking the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians will be good for Israelis and American Jews. That these gaps uh, do not widen will be good for the U.S.-Israel relationship too.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, you and I certainly agree that yeah. the one-state solution is not an option yeah. for the Israelis. It certainly, is not an option. Yeah. It's a, from demographic perspective, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a, most Israelis really dismiss yeah. that yeah. notion completely. Now, and uh, you've been involved in the negotiations yeah. uh, firsthand, and you know, I've been involved before that, yeah. before your time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, from where do you see this triangle relationship, Israel, the United States, and the Arabs, and the Palestinians? And uh, the so-called deal of the century, which we don't, I think it's probably dead on arrival, uh, if it ever become anything. Where do you see that going?
1: Well, first, look, the good news, I feel, is that there's a greater convergence of interests between Arab states and Israel in a way that didn't exist five years ago. Uh, you know, I sometimes joke that they should write Iran a thank you note that it has brought Israel and a, and a Arab countries in the Gulf closer together. And I just want
0: to interject one yeah. thing because I want you to consider that, uh, f- as I see it, it's a sort of a marriage of convenience yes. at this juncture. Yeah, yeah, please yeah. continue. And of course, of course. Please continue. I don't
1: think there's a you know that they they've they become Zionistic uh, uh, in, no, any way no. in the Gulf, but there's a convergence on on the on the question of thwarting Iran's. Regional ambitions, and sadly, because of Iran's relentlessness, it, it, it's, it might not just be an yeah. ephemeral thing. This right. could last for a while. And also, there's an appreciation for Israel's economic achievements. Uh, and having just come back from the Gulf, uh, I've made two tw- trips now in the last few months uh, to Bahrain. I was in Abu Dhabi. That there's a there's an appreciation for what Israel has achieved. But here, I think, uh, by the way, the Arab states could be not just a bypass road, uh, but they could be a bridge between Israel and the Palestinians. So I see this as a good thing. I know the Palestinians are worried because they always thought this was a good card to hold back on. Mm -hmm. But um, this is, um, I think this, there's some hope here, whether what translates and what and to be fair, the administration—they never used the phrase "deal of the century." It was not we faced it, but but look, I've been critical of it only because I I think that these leaders, the um, the overlap between uh, the positions of the parties, uh, the Venn diagram does not overlap sufficiently. And instead of hitting the home run, I'd like to see some singles, you know, that 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 uh, narrow these differences. So. I, I do think the administration, though, will put something out uh, after there's an Israeli government, if there's an Israeli government. <laughs> and, but it will be more a vision than a plan. And that, what I mean by that is I think they see it for now as a historic reference point that if, it, uh, if uh, they're reelected into office, they'll come back to it. But I think they feel Clinton has got his ideas out there. Kerry's got his ideas. So now there'll be a third yeah, uh, yeah. version. And uh, this will shift the goalpost a little bit. And, and we'll see if it, it has lasting impact, though, because if it's repudiated, then it might not have lasting impact. So I don't think it's going to be a plan because, you know, Abbas has said he, he won't negotiate on this basis. The U.S. is entering, you know, the 2020 uh, political cycle. And there might be elements in there that uh, elements of the Trump coalition don't like, even mm-hmm. though people say it mm-hmm. might be tilted more to Israel. But on certain issues, it'll probably people will be surprised that I have a feeling it's going to come closer to some of the more conventional views than others. Um, so just to summarize this, um, it's late in the cycle for it to be a full-blown plan, but I think it's a it's a point of pride for the administration to at least put it out there as a vision, 50, right, 60 right. pages, and um, they're waiting for a new government. So uh, we'll have to see, but whether it has actually lasting impact is a whole other issue.
0: Let me go back to um, the, you know, quote-unquote, rapprochement between Israel and the, uh, some of the Arab said other than Jordan and Egypt. And, and you, you use the word bridge. There can be a bridge yeah. in order to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian yeah. conflict. But then uh, the question is, is Israel in a position today? Even this government, next government, is going to make like a significant change in connection with the Palestinians that's going to be palatable for the, Ara- the Arabs to accept. Uh, because I believe when they say Saudis and others right. that we cannot make peace with Israel as long as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict remains the way it is. And I don't see how any Israeli government now is going to move in a significant way to make that change in order to m- m- move this marriage. And I call it convenience for now to make it more serious.
1: Well, no, it's a great question. Um, look, I my point of departure is the following. There's a lot of stuff going on under the table. Maybe not enough, but with some of the Gulf states and more with others. But it, uh, even economic things are happening. And it's getting even crowded under the table that the table is starting to levitate upward a little <laughs> bit. So I start with there. I think, B, a lot of them are saying, just give us some movement, some yes. movement. Yeah. And even if you don't solve everything, but that it's going in the right direction. I do think that's easier. If you're talking about endpoints, as your question suggests, yeah, the endpoints are still at odds. But I think if, uh, and we'll see how it plays out in Israel, if blue and white led by three former chiefs of staff and we've had a fourth chief of staff just at the Washington Institute for six months Gotti Eisencott what you begin to see and I realize Yalon yeah, is a little different than the other three but for the most part there's a kind of a, as you know who follows this so closely, there's a kind of like a military consensus at mm-hmm. the top I'm talking about yes, I'm not talking yeah. about the corporals yeah. and the private but I'm talking about the generals that there needs to be some accommodation uh, because the, Israel's got so many issues from the Iranian nuclear issue, the Iranian regional issue, Hezbollah, Hamas. There's so much going on that it, the, the general's view is ideology does not give us security. Uh, the settler approach is not making Israel more, more secure. And so I think that um, if there's a unity government or if Gantz, is, who is a former chief of staff, Uh, He comes out of that Rabin worldview. I'm not necessarily comparing him to Rabin, although the the shyness of him and the humility reminds me of Rabin. But it's the worldview that's saying it's not about settler ideology. It's about security for Israel, pragmatic decisions in shrinking this conflict that's where I think they're at. And I think you could hit some singles. What are the singles? Let me just give an example.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean, I was going to ask you, how do you shrink it? Okay. I'm glad that's, you asked. That's that. the whole point. <laughs> All right.
1: Exactly. My point of the singles is, and I've, I have a website called Settlements and Solutions. Where do the settlers actually live? Where does demography meet geography in the West Bank? Mm-hmm. And you see, if you talk about people living over the green line, 87% live within the security barrier, yes. 8% of the West Bank that is um, near Israeli, largely near Israeli urban areas. And and the Palestinians know that. And they have what we call land swaps. Land, you know this, yes, but I'm not yes, sure your yes. listeners do, so I'm, I'm defining <laughs> the terms. Land exchanges, you keep some of this area, but then you give within course, Israel. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, that those settlements and those areas are consistent with two states. But the ones outside the barrier are inconsistent. That's when right. When you're 104,000 people living outside the barrier and in, the, in scattered, over 92% of right. the West Bank, right. then, you know, you're saying, I don't want any two states. It, it's not about where the line is. I don't want anything. And here, I think, uh, if blue and white has an impact, they could say, okay, you know what? We're not going to build any more outside the barrier in the non block areas, where the 13% of the settlers live and 92% of the West Bank. We're not going to build there, And uh, but we might want to do more in the blocks, but we just won't build the outside the blocks. Why? Not because we think two-state solution will be solved tomorrow morning. No, but we want to leave the option open, because if you settle in these places and entangle these populations, you can't separate them afterwards. You know, the Paris is lined that from an egg you can make an omelet, but from an omelet you can't make an egg. <laughs> and so that point is important. So a, a single for me uh, or for non-American audience, I say you don't run the marathon, run the 5K race, is to say do what you can do. But the other side has to also do things. It's not just Israel that this, there's a reason why this thing isn't moving. I mean, you've got to get into the kishka, to the... To the to the visceral feelings of both sides. For the Palestinians, it's about land. Are you taking steps today that shut the door to ever solving this problem? But for the the Israeli side, they they also have a valid point. And their valid point is, what are you teaching your kids? What about terrorism? And here, when the Palestinian Authority pays money to relatives of suicide bombers, known in the U.S. as the Taylor Force issue, which is... uh, do you pay, uh, in, in memory of, of, an Israel, of an American colonel who was killed in Israel on a private visit, uh, you know, do you pay money to relatives of suicide bombers or perpetrators of violence? And by the way, this money is not just a small welfare stipend. It's triple the national average. Uh, there's stories of the Shin Bet people who have interrogated Uh, failed the tax, and they've asked them, why did you do it? They said, I know because my family will be paid, you know, such high sums. So, it sends a message to Israel that it's pay to slay. You're incentivizing people to kill. So, that's the Israeli, Kishka, that's the Israeli fear that uh, you talk about land, but I talk about terror. Now, Israel will say, hey, you know, there's no moral equivalency between the bomb and the bulldozer. A person who's killed cannot come back where a settlement that's built can be erased, you know, can be, uh, you know, can be removed. So, but both of these issues are important to these constituencies. And I look at the polling data and I see the following. Half of the people still say, I want two states. But then they ask a follow-up question. Does the other side want two states? them? No, no. no. So that's will it happen? Writers, never, yes. never. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel that, that the singles for me, the 5k and not the marathon is do one thing. That's at least, at least one thing. If you do more, uh, great. I have some other ideas there too, but do at least one thing that would convince the other side one issue. Are you a partner or not a partner, uh, to working together? I think that that's really important,
0: but don't you think? Let me let me just go back to this. I mean, I've been singing this song for a while. To me, everything you said, I think, it's extremely valid. What what is the missing? There's a one missing issue, and that is, let us assume there is that consensus. Yeah, we want peace. We will agree to have two state solution, but you cannot create it today, for many reasons, and one of which. There is no bilateral relationship between people to people. Yes. And there is no right. process of reconciliation You're which right. has to precede. I agree. We we'll had to precede. Now, who is doing that?
1: Now, look, if you if you get a sense of partnership, um, if you get a sense of partnership among the leaders, I hope there'll be a commitment. I can just tell you why. When I was working with, in the last administration, um, we would love to have gotten. Abbas and Netanyahu to give a joint speech yeah. that would reach out to the publics. Right. Each one felt that that raises the stakes for them politically. They would rather do this in a hermetically sealed laboratory that nobody knows and then if it works great, if it doesn't work, it, they don't lose. Yeah. They didn't want to raise the stakes. What I'm trying to say is you need the leaders to realize <laughs> the stakes for them that if, if you if you take steps on the ground you could preclude two states or if you or if you pay killers you lose the public my hope is if the leaders make conceptual decisions we need a partnership and now we have the public backing because they see we've taken a step then a lot of these other issues will flow but alone I a thousand percent agree that uh, normalization and reconciliation needs to happen early but for that, you need leaders you need who leaders, believe you know, it. Yeah, yeah, but who, if they don't believe in it, then it, it doesn't matter. So, what I'm saying is, you need the right leaders, and yeah. they have to take policy positions that convince the other side that they're serious.
0: That's exactly the point. I mean, that is if they need to make a commitment right. to, the pro, to, to, to reaching right? an agreement exactly. and then to take the necessary right. steps in order to reach that. Right, but some people say okay.
1: chicken and egg. When I was yeah. just in, the, yeah. in Abu Dhabi, a former, very respected Arab. Arab um, Minister, uh, for ambassador and foreign minister actually said to me, well if there's a commitment to the 67 lines, then we could do certain things, but it's a chicken and egg. I mean you yeah. don't have the public support for this no. so we're trying to build public support in both sides and uh, but that's why I think the singles approach you know should build up towards this that's I hope. no yeah
0: I, I agree with you I mean there's and there is that approach, you know. There is initially a commitment, then a process of reconciliation. Because if there is that, then the public would be far yes, more receptive. Of course, 100%. You know, I can continue this with you for a while. We have to do it again. So, are okay to stop here? Yeah. But uh, do you want to add a few one? No, thing? I just want to thank you. Please. No, it's your, my pleasure
1: for your work on on this issue. And I hope uh, that your you know your listeners will. Do what you said, like listen to the podcast uh, called Decision Points, the U.S. as a Relationship. Read the book of Dennis Ross and myself, Be Strong and of Good Courage. We hope to inspire people, uh, that people will see these are not just uh, ideas in in the sky, but they were leaders that really met the bar of history. And the podcast, uh, uh, historians who wrote about this period will attest that leadership, makes the difference a
0: great deal yes I, I'll do the following I'll read the book and when I'm done with it I'll give you a call perhaps great. we can sit down again great so would that be okay round. with you? I would love yes. it Let's do I would that. love it yeah. thank you so much David thank you thank you for listening to this episode on the issues you can find this podcast on my Sound page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.